Hi, welcome back to On the Town, and I'm your host, Tanya. Tonight's uh, guests are two authors who wrote Amazon's number one best-selling book, Redefining Normal, How Two Foster Kids Beat the Odds and Discovered Healing, Happiness, and Love. Our first guest is a graduate of Western Michigan University, where she earned an M excuse me, where she earned a BBA in entrepreneurship, a BA in global and international studies, a certificate in nonprofit leadership, and a minor in political science. She is also the founder of the Scholarship Expert LLC, which helps students find money for college and other opportunities. Our next guest started Rising Over Societal Expectations, also known as ROSE, an empowerment group with the vision to close the information gap for today's generation of black and brown youth after his experience as a black male in foster care, in foster care system. He has developed policy recommendations while working with the National Black Child Development Institute and has studied urban and community development as well as politics and economic philosophy. Both of our guests are using their many gifts to make lives better for others, creating workshops and presentations to assist others in breaking generational cycles. Please welcome our guests today, Justin and Alexis Black. Hi. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much guys for coming to see us today. How are you both doing? I'm doing great. You're doing great. Just happy to be on here with you. Yes, um, how are you doing? I'm awesome. I'm doing awesome. I, I, anytime there's a, a a project involving uh, foster youth, I'm like, ah, I'm so excited. So <laughs> I'm always doing good. Uh, first of all, con congratulations. Welcome and congratulations. Um, thank you for being our guest and congratulations on your number one Amazon bestseller. Yeah. Yes. yes. Super oh, we got a copy right here. That is so awesome. So for, for people who never who have never been in foster care or those uh, who had great childhoods, let's say, I just want to go back uh, for a moment because, uh, you know, we like to move forward. I, I get that. But sometimes, you know, people are not as aware uh, mm -hmm. so for a moment so that the viewers can realize um, how brilliant and resilient both of you are. So so first, um, Alexis, you were um, just six years old when your mom passed, uh, mm -hmm. and I believe you said 13, when your father uh, went to prison for childhood endangerment. Can you share mm -hmm. brief, um, briefly on that experience? Yeah, absolutely. So my biological mother passed when I was six. Um, she actually died from suicide. Oh. And then um, right after that, I went to go live with my biological father. And uh, around that time was when um, he started abusing me and it was um, physical, emotional and sexual abuse. And that lasted until I was about 13 when he went to prison. And then I think I was about 14 or 15 when I had to testify against him. Um, and so at that time was when I legally went into foster care. Well, that's good. So you've never contacted back with him again? No, I mean, he tried to contact me, but I got um, like a no contact order to where um, he can't speak to me. Good for you. Good for you. I'm very proud of what you did because that takes a lot of guts. Most mm -hmm. of them, you know, we never want to lose the connection with family, no matter what cost that is. So this is why I love this book too. We'll go into it further, but this is another reason why. So I'm going to get there. So let's bring the audience in. Uh, so um, let's see, where to say, Justin, uh, I also read it that at a young age that you had lived uh, in abandoned houses and the poorest section of Detroit before your parents surrendered you to CPS at nine. Yes. Um, so just growing up in Detroit, uh, 
I entered the foster care system at nine years old because my family dealt with a lot of substance abuse issues. And uh, what you have read or what people will read in the book, um, talk up, talking about some of the moments that led up to this experience of entering foster care, of living in that uh, uh, situation with abandoned housing and um, being in just a community filled with poverty and, and, and just a drug induced community. and getting to a point where my mom had no choice but to surrender us to the foster care system. So um, that's kind of like the, the beginning parts of the book where we kind of just discuss what led up to that point of us entering into the foster care system and what that those moments really shaped our identity. Right. Exactly. And that's what I was going to ask. Uh, oh, has it has it helped you also both of you, um, you know, with a deeper experience of, you know, to be able to have more compassion for people because you've lived through certain things? You know, um, yeah, definitely. I think um, it does. It gives us a, a perspective that, uh, you know, when you meet people, I would just say for me, when you meet people, you know that um, when you see a reaction or see a person act out something or what they've done, you know that uh, as an adult that they may be carrying uh, years and years of trauma and mm -hmm. maybe even more than that, generations of of abuse or certain behaviors or certain attitudes where, you know, this, this anger that they may be dealing with or a uh, way that they deal with certain situations may be generational in their family, but they suffer the consequences alone and deal with consequences that maybe their grandfather or grandmother should have dealt with, but it's just being passed down to them. And now they face the consequences of something that they feel is normal or just how they naturally react or do certain things. So you, so you both um, have been able to take um, your experience and turn it into this wonderful book, which I didn't get to read all of it, but I read the the bulk of it, and mm -hmm. and it's good the way that you turned all the pain, all the uh, trauma, um, mm -hmm. and turned that whole thing around into a blessing for somebody else. You mm -hmm. know, because no point of going through something if nothing's nothing comes out of it. So, um, kudos to both of you. I, I don't know if you know, I was a foster kid. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so I have similar stories um, to both of you, actually. Um, so I really double, double appreciate you. Um, <laughs> so have you, ha Justin, has this led to you to do any any special work with the homeless population? Or just no, I, I haven't done anything to kind of uh, work on homelessness. Uh, mm -hmm. My main attention has mainly been focused on uh, a lot of the experiences of uh, eternalized racism as it relates to African-American communities. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even though my family experienced a lot of homelessness mm -hmm. and there, there are a, a, a bunch of different reasons why um, families have experienced homelessness. But just as it relates to my situation, mm -hmm. a lot of my parents have kind of eternalized the things that were said about them and the culture that has surrounded them when it comes to drug use, uh, selling drugs, and just some of the toxic ideas that uh, is so commonly known in African-American communities. So my focus has mainly been trying to target or spark an idea for a lot of those young African-American men and women to kind of turn around that culture that has kind of been plaguing African-Americans in this country for so long and kind of destroying our communities for so long. Mm -hmm. So try to spark an idea for those people in the community so they can kind of turn things around and kind of reshape what they think and how they feel about themselves and their family and people around them. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
that sounds, uh, wow, that's amazing stuff. Um, so you, um, I, there's a lot of stuff that I was going to ask you. You got, you got ahead of me, but that's okay. Uh, let's see. I read, um, let's see, Alexis, tell me about um, how long did you guys, well, individually stay in, in the system and um, did you have to move around? So I entered foster care at 13 and then I lived with my aunt for about five years. And, um, and then around that time she kicked me out and I went and lived with um, my foster parents who actually are now my adoptive parents. So that ended up being like the, probably one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me because I've met such an incredible family. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I only had to move a couple times. That's yeah. For, for me, um, I moved quite a bit of time to live in about five or six different homes. Mm-hmm. So when I first entered foster care at nine years old, I moved with my oldest brother mm-hmm. um, for about two years. Mm-hmm. Stemming from there, I moved with my aunt on my dad's side for about five or six years. And then after that, I moved with uh, one of my brother's best friend parents for like eight months. Mm-hmm. And then I <laughs> moved again to... Um, a group home right outside the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I moved there around 17 years old. And that's where I really got to a lot of the development that I needed and mentors around me and, and really believed it in me to get to the next stage and, and level of life and, and somewhat successfully transition into adulthood. So yeah. as you said, a magic word, someone believing in me, mm-hmm. uh, you think that, that you were able to catapult to this level of greatness because there was someone somewhere along the line that that actually did believe in you, even when things seemed like it wasn't. Yeah, mm-hmm. some for for some people it may take one person, mm-hmm. but I think for most of us it takes a community of people surrounding us. And everywhere we look, every direction we go, there are people believing in us and speaking life into us. And I think that's what a lot of people need to be successful. Most people need to be successful as a community and a lot of people around them that is pushing them forward, speaking life into them and contributing resources to them so they can be successful. And that's what really helped and saved me because if you just have a foster parent or one person trying to do good in your life, it's so easy to turn away from them when Mm -hmm. things get hard or pressure builds up. But when you have a community and people around you who can help you and support you, that's what really keeps you going. And everywhere you turn is people just wanting to help you and love you and, and see you successful. And that's what really helped me when I was 17 and I moved right outside the city to a group home. And uh, it was scary, but I had the mentors and right people around me to help me get to the next level. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that's because you both had it? I mean, you you both seem like you were resilient, even at seven, like nothing can knock you down. So do you think that because you had that that energy, people felt that energy like, no, not, not, not like, oh, let me help these kids. It was more like this, girl wants help, but this young man wants help. Let me see what I can do. You know what I'm saying? When you have that energy and you have that will to like claw and fight to get what you need, sometimes I think it attracts the people that you need. Mm, I I can see that in my own life, just in my own like self-advocacy, like throughout high school, just how much I struggled and my teachers, like I just had some absolutely phenomenal teachers also. So I had to throw that in there mm-hmm. and, um, and just how that they really advocated for me as well. But I think it started with me advocating for myself mm-hmm. and reaching out to them, staying after class, going to my counselor <clears throat> and like really speaking things that I needed and, um, and that I need help. And so I think that that really kind of blew the whistle with that of, you know, please help me and support me. And so that kind of rallied those people around me, but also mm-hmm. I just had a really great, um, I went to a great high school where they cared about their students. And what advice would you give um, foster youth that may be looking um, that, you know, sometimes they're very timid on telling their business. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know I'm saying like sometimes you you want to help um, you want to give advice to someone and they they're like oh I don't want to tell anybody that was in foster care no I can't do this and I'm like no that's how you get more help because people know your your plight mm -hmm. they don't know they're gonna be like ah yeah I want you to you know maintain an A while you take a bus and walk ten miles and and sit on the park bench because you have no place to live they 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 don't know then you have to do extra stuff. Sometimes if you tell people your business, as they call it, I don't call, I don't consider that. That's not nothing that was totally in your control. So mm -hmm. to me, it's not, um, it's not telling your business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, some, oh, yeah. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> some that way. And, and I just think if more, more young people was to tell their story, they get more advocates. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Cause I mean, people can't read your mind. So if you don't tell them, then they can't help you. Yeah. And so I learned that really early on. Um, and then also for me, just growing up, always trying to feel like that um, I have to figure everything out myself and I'm super independent and super, like being like ultra independent, that's mm -hmm. a sign of trauma. And that's a sign that you can't rely and depend on other people, but that's not how we're built and what we're meant to be. We're meant to be interdependent and rely on other people. We're meant to have communities and support networks. So the sooner that you learn that and the sooner that you can learn to rely on other people, the more help that you're going to get, the more um, uh, safe and love that you're going to feel. And also the you have the power to create that family and that community mm -hmm. um, and, and nobody else can really do that for you. And so like for me, just being able to advocate for myself, being able to reach out to individuals, um, that was one thing that I just really had to learn early on. So I always recommend for people to you know, self-advocate. You have to learn to speak up and speak up for yourself and reach out to people because, um, oh, I wanted to mention real quick. I used to be so uh, ashamed of having that label of being a foster youth, like in high school. But then I learned of all the amazing things that like resources that come once I actually like kind of announced like, Hey, I'm a foster youth. Like I need help. And then once people started realizing that I had that label, then right. I got all these resources. And so it may be something that you maybe feel ashamed of in that moment, but I wouldn't say that should be something you, you're ashamed of because that's not something that you can control. And for me, I wouldn't change anything about my story. I wouldn't change anything that's happened to me or what's going on um, because it made me who I am today. And when you own that, that, uh, own that you're a foster youth, then actually you can get more resources and more people can line up to support you. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, how many opportunities are there for, uh, foster youth or youth who've experienced foster care to actually say that they have those experiences and express those ideas. Like I didn't know how to, when I was in high school, I didn't know how to explain that to my counselor or, or certain people mm -hmm. and even my friends. Like, I don't know how to express that, mm -hmm. you know, and it, the shame comes from just not even having society open up to that idea of there are people who are out here, you know, who don't live with their biological parents who have gone through certain experiences. So I think that um, if there are opportunities, uh, if society and institutions and our education institutions, mm -hmm. um, our education system uh, creates more opportunities for foster youth to express themselves and opportunities for them to uh, gain access to those initiatives and opportunities, then there will be more people kind of advocating for themselves to do that. Absolutely. And, and I, and I, uh, back to one point you just made, I I'm a big believer in tribes and I believe that we all are supposed to belong to a tribe. I mean, no matter where you go in the animal kingdom and where you go in the human kingdom, I believe that's a fact. Mm -hmm. And so while our parents are sometimes only a vehicle to get us here, 
um, I believe you need a tribe to carry you through, no matter who you are. You know what I'm saying? So it's good to pick and choose your people, your tribe, I call it. That's, it doesn't matter what color somebody is. That, that's not, I don't mean tribe in that sense. I meant in the sense of your circle. And so sometimes you have to put yourself out there to build your tribe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, right away, if someone started teasing me, let's say that's a big fear, especially when, we, when we're younger. If someone started teasing me, then I know that that's definitely not going to be in my tribe, right? But mm -hmm. those are so... Um, it's so important to know that you have to have some advocates for yourself. You have to advocate for yourself and you have to have people that are in your tribe that help, help advocate for you. Um, so um, I appreciate um, all that you just said. Um, Alexis, you always go, you go uh, in the book. Um, do you guys also talk about um, abuse and how to uh, turn that around? Yes. Um, like well, we both went through different forms of abuse. Um, for me, it was uh uh, sexual, mental, and physical um, abuse uh, from my biological father. But then also I was in an eight-year abusive relationship. And so I talk about the damage that that did to me, but then also how I had to take that upon myself to heal from that. And nobody could heal me but myself. And so how I use my faith and how I use um, counseling and uh, therapy and different different things to to help me get through that. Mm. Yeah, for, for me, I would say um, a lot of, it, I think the a large part of the book is us trying to figure out our trauma, start mm -hmm. trying to identify it, um, mm -hmm. identify how it's affected us, our family and community, and also how to turn those things around and the methods and strategies that we use, like through counseling, through a uh, spiritual relief and a uh, spiritual guidance through so many different avenues, we were able to kind of work through that and figure it out eventually. Or not, it's not just like it's done, but it's like an ongoing process throughout our entire lives. Right. And 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 that that's uh you're uh, you're both what in your twenties, mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh, oh yeah you're just getting started <laughs> <laughs> just getting started up here and that, that's the thing another thing about it you guys are so young that it's um I mean I cannot tell you how amazing that you have discovered I mean all this little I mean I, I'm gonna talk about it but the generational you know getting rid of that I mean there's so much stuff that you know now. That it took most of us, including myself, till I was like, I mean, I started figuring it out quick because I'm a little bit of a pre pre ahead thinker, but um, but to really grasp all the tools, you know what I'm saying? You you guys, you guys are way ahead of your time. I can just tell you that. <laughs> when, if we can teach young foster youth at a younger age these tools, oh my gosh, we've had presidents all over the place. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, that's the goal, though. Yeah, that's really. the goal. That's, what, that's, that's the reason why we wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you um. Uh, um, so you guys met, uh, want to say at college, right? And, um, mm -hmm. and that was unconventional. Just tell us quickly that, that story. Yeah. So, um, I was actually a junior at Western. I just transferred, um, the year prior and uh, yeah, it was the year prior and Justin was an incoming freshman, literally just had prom. Mm -hmm. And I always put that out because I feel so old. <laughs> he said that, but uh, we met on the first day of our scholarship program called the CETA Scholars Program at Western Michigan University. And it's a, a scholarship program for foster youth and higher education. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is amazing. And so what, so you, what, what was it like? Um, you know, not what I know you're finding a partner, you know, you're going through the age out thing, you're in college, you find a partner. And did you know, did each of you know that the other was in foster care? And did that make it even more special? Yeah, because we, the program we entered was a foster care program for oh. uh, youth in higher education. So we were, we were aware that uh, everybody um, 
everybody in the program was uh, have experienced foster care. Now, mm-hmm. again, there's different levels. Now, you could have um, had your, your parents pass away, which is another form of trauma. And just because you've been in foster care, there's different levels of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, like I said, you could have like a, a parents pass away and you just go live with like an aunt or something and they raise you, which again, there's, there's trauma in that too, but it's different level and different forms of trauma. You could mm-hmm. have had what we've experienced and certain levels of abuse of and poverty and, and neglect, but you it, there's levels to it. And some people may have not have experienced certain things as I wouldn't say as deep, but it's just it's just different levels. So uh, we were aware. But once we got to know each other more, we really understood how much trauma the other person has been through and how to support the other eventually with going through those experiences. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And how long have you been married? I'm just curious. Three months. Three months. Yeah, I just got married in August. Oh, how cool is that? So, um, what, um, okay. The book is written in alternating accounts. It says, um, Mm -hmm. was it easier because you're married and in the same household or was it still a challenge collaborating and hashing up old trauma and then turning it into a healing dialogue for others? Well, we started the book actually at the end of March after we were emergency evacuated from South Africa and we were in a, um, we were quarantined in an RV outside of my parents' house for two weeks. And that's when we really started to write the book. And I mean, I'm a, I'm not a procrastinator by any means, but when it comes to something like this, it was like really hard for me to get to start writing and he's a writer by nature. And so he just like hashed out the first couple, uh, chapters like it was nothing and I'm still trying to organize because that's my way of procrastinating (laughs) and um, but we actually wrote the entire book in about two and a half months and then we edited it for over three months Mm -hmm. and we were actually engaged we were engaged for we've been engaged for the past two years Mm -hmm. and uh we were engaged when um we wrote the book so just uh you know going through the entire process and also trying to figure out a wedding and how to re restructure our wedding in the pandemic uh right. with something crazy as well but the the writing process you kind of just have to get yourself in the mindset to relive those things mm-hmm. and sometimes i would just have to it, it it will be certain parts that i'll write about certain days and certain mm-hmm. days I'm like i don't really feel like digging into that yeah you know this day. <laughs> I'll, 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 dig, I'll dig into this on this right. day right and, uh, and, and then for me it would just be like a thing like soon as it hits me I'm just writing out the whole situation, detail, mm-hmm. detail, every single thing within the the situation, just writing it all, how I feel, what I thought what was mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. the sky, the weather, every single thing. And uh, it would just hit me all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And you just get that that uh, spark of inspiration. Yes. And um, it would be a lot. It would be like, man, you reread it and you kind of like get it real emotional. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, wow, like I actually mm-hmm. been through that. And, it, it, and we talked about this before, like, reliving those experiences feel like you we've lived like two or three lives you know like being in college and traveling to multiple different countries and doing all that we do now to being in poverty in our in our um yeah. you know in our childhood it's just so crazy it's like we live three different we live three to four different lives i yeah. know and i was gonna get to that at the end you're messing up my end spoiler that's trivia but it's okay um but um uh, what was I going to say? Your what is your favorite lesson in the book uh, that you find most helpful? I I would say I mean for for me as mm-hmm. far as like what what it taught me um I would just say the the biggest lesson is uh one I 
ever since I was a child, I was always curious about new opportunities, new things. It, that's curiosity. Um, never, I don't know what it was that, that was really in me that, that sparked this, but I always had a curiosity to do more and try things. Mm-hmm. And I was always nervous too, because of a lot of the barriers that have been set before us. I was always nervous too, but, uh, just that curiosity. I learned that being in Detroit for 17 to 18 years to, you know, all of the things that we've done in college. And I don't want to give away the traveling stuff too much, but I was yeah. just thinking about that today. Like, man, like all the traveling we've done and I everything know, we've I done. Talk, mention a little bit about that, but uh, go ahead. But this, this, that sense of curiosity is just like the biggest thing that I've learned and just self-reflection of, you know, we, we didn't want to make this a blaming book where we just attack and blame our family, but being self-reflective of what Things, the things that we've done wrong also. And I could have easily left some things out of the book that I've done wrong and just pass it over. But I wanted to be honest and truthful in my experiences. So just being as reflective as possible is something that's just important for me and open and honest and transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so my little, um, I'm going to read a couple of the comments, but before I do, I just want to tell you guys, okay, so ready? Alexis has studied abroad in countries like Hong Kong, South Korea, and South Africa. And Justin, <laughs> okay, this is your bragging rights. I'm doing it for you. Uh, has um, been in countries, you studied in Rwanda, Uganda, Senegal, and South Korea. You hit all my people. Woo woo. That's, what, <laughs> that's awesome. Look at that. And that that's what makes it even more uh, put the extra icing on the cake because mm-hmm. like you said, you've literally been way down mm-hmm. there and you've been in the gutter. You know what that's like. You've felt it. You smelt it. You know everything about it. <laughs> also been around the world and seen, guess what? It could be worse, right? Mm-hmm. I know in some part, if you went to, if you went to, let me see where some parts of Uganda, some parts of, mm, some parts of Rwanda, some parts of South Korea, even depending on you, whenever I go travel, I always go to the quote unquote hood. I always go, mm-hmm. I always do that since I, I don't know my mother, when she used to make me, my foster mother used to make me drive around with her when I was younger. And um, I learned that very young that go to the poorest of poor area. And then you know how they treat their people. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, absolutely. That's so true. Yeah. So, so you've seen it all. So when you write this, when you wrote this book, oh my gosh, you guys, are, I, I can't wait to read the whole thing because mm-hmm. uh, this is just unusual that someone has this much knowledge at your 20 something years old. It's mm-hmm. like the life of like an 80 year old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did want to add something it's super quick. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. we actually decided to write this book as a, as a way for us to get closer together before we got married. Uh-huh. Um, because as you can imagine, uh, to former foster youth with a ton of trauma. Like, you know, we're, it's kind of, uh, as we say, like a ticking time bomb, if we allow it to, if we're not super intentional on healing and working on ourselves. And so um, I would say like the biggest lesson for me that I want people to take from this book is that um, we were purposeful in the way that we structured this book on having alternating counts, mm-hmm. accounts in the book, and then also to show you our individual journeys of healing and self-discovery before mm-hmm. we could come together. Mm-hmm. Because if we came together as adults or young people or whatever. And Mm -hmm. we had all of our trauma. And I assumed uh, that he would be able to carry that for me. And he assumed that I could carry his trauma. Then we would fail. We -hmm. have to heal ourselves and figure out for ourselves, our own happiness, our own success, Mm -hmm. all the things that ground ourselves, like our morals and values and things so that we can align ourselves with somebody that's equally yoked in that same manner with morals and values and ambitions and things. Um, Because if not, it's just not going to work. 
So that, that's definitely one of the greatest lessons that I hope that people get from this. Thank you. No, that is brilliant. And, and especially as a couple, um, a lot of people, especially fosters, uh, we tend, not just fosters, but anybody who's dealing with abandonment or neglect or abuse issues. So they may not have been actually in care, but if you deal with those issues, also comes the fact that what you haven't, um, dis what you haven't discovered about yourself or, or did therapy for or healed yourself with from childhood, you will attract the same exact thing. Absolutely. Exactly. And you I didn't know. want to live my entire adult or I didn't want to live my entire life healing from my childhood. And I didn't want to pass that on to my kids. Yes. Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm, I cannot tell you, I'm like a mother that's so proud of both of you. <laughs> we appreciate it. You. I've worked with grown adults who do not get that concept. They're like, Oh no, I love him. And he's so great. And I was like, well, how's he going to change from his past? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, you need to get that therapy, boo. You know, it's like, yeah. I have a, all kinds of people I've talked to all age ranges and they just, they just, they think I'm going crazy when I tell them. Well, because you have to date for, you have to date for character and integrity and not for potential. And that's what a lot of individuals me. is that potential. Yeah. And not the save me. Um, I'm looking for my knight in shining armor. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I can't rescue you. Cause I didn't even rescue myself. So, <laughs> so, true. Yeah, so I, before I read the comments, are there any new projects on the horizon? And where can we purchase your book? I cannot believe time is flying. Oh, yeah. Yes. So you can get our book at read-definingnormal.com. That's our website. And also you can get it on Amazon if you look up uh, Redefining Normal, How to Foster Kids Beat the Odds and Discover Healthy Happiness and Love. If you read the book, make sure you leave a review on Amazon. And um, yeah, just just get the book ASAP. And that's what, like our biggest thing as of right now. But we have so many big things and projects coming up. Uh, yeah. Like we have merchandise coming out. We're making workbooks for our book um, for multiple different populations, like churches, foster youth, couples. So we're working on all that. Merchandise um, this year. Oh, yeah. So yep. That's yep. Bad. we got hoodies, T-shirts, mugs, all that coming out. Um, so, yeah, that's oh, cool. wow. Who's your publisher? Who's your publisher? We Us. are. We are. Our we, publisher. Did <laughs> we did it. We did all ourselves. Oh, yeah. yeah. You are like some serious entrepreneurs. I saw some of your things. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> one of them. Oh yeah, we, we do everything ourselves pretty much in-house. So we do have several interns now, but for the most part, everything's been done by us. You have a publishing house too? Well, we started our own publishing company oh, in order really? to publish our own book. Yeah. Oh, listen, if you're a Fossey of the Roddy Fossey book, we have to holler at them. Um, we have to yeah. Call it, remember me from on the town? It's me. Yeah. <laughs> I was ready. But yeah, no, you guys are fabulous. I just want to read a couple comments before we go. Um, T Storm says you two are amazing, and you can you can and will be a blessing to foster children and children from two parents' homes and single parents' homes. Trauma happens in all types of homes. Thank you. Yes, thank you, T. She's um she's a teacher. So and then we have uh, Betty, Betty uh, says that both of you are amazing, and I would love to buy your book. Uh, who else? Thank you. When, mm -hmm. when asking, he says he has one child. He wanted to know how to foster a child. Should I answer that since I'm in New York? Uh, depends on where you're at, Wayne. Yeah, it's going to depend on what state. Um, yeah, really, yeah, that's hard to answer because it depends on what state. If you're in yeah. New York, I got you. I can help you out. I can tell you. You can. You don't have to go buy children, people. You, there's free children that need a home right here. In, I'm in Westchester County, but in New York, all over the world, you go to mm. adoptuskids.org. Um, that's one site. But there's um, any of your local um, 
Ours is 311. I don't know where you're at, Wayne. So that makes it kind of hard. That's okay. Uh, so anyway, anybody else? Who else is on here? Um, Tamika says, hi, from Hot Muse. Um, uh, Grandma says she wants to buy your book. And Anne-Marie says, hi. Hi, Anne-Marie. All right. So so basically, guys, um, any last any last requests before we uh, end this up, uh, before I end it up? I really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> any last? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Sorry. Um, my siblings are home and they're in the background. But sorry about that. Okay. Listen, it's Zoom, it's Zoom and I've seen even on Rachel Ray's show, things happen. So don't worry. Yeah, it. it's going to happen regardless. It's like Sunday morning here. Yeah. But we want to say uh, thank you so much for having us on. And if you're interested in buying our book, again, it's available at re-definingnormal.com. Um, and you can also get it on Amazon. And you can email us with any questions, seriously, at um, info at re-definingnormal.com. Defining, defining. Let me see if I have that on here. Let me see. I didn't have that. I just have the name of the book. So you can find that. Yeah. Uh, and I can also put it in the comments after the recording as well. Oh, that's good. Perfect. So thank you guys. I appreciate uh, Justin and Alexis are proof guys that with hard work, ethics and persistence and self-love, anybody, no matter what background you come from, can find joy and heal. So thank you both for being our guests. I wish you the best of success. Uh, and to our viewers watching, don't forget to go to YouTube, like and subscribe to On the Town with Tanya and my new gig um, co-hosting co Five Black Comics on Saturdays at 5 p.m. So get it up, let's go and go go buy that book. Go buy that yep. book. Yep. That book right yeah. there. Normal, that's right. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on. Take care. You have a good night. Thank you.